What has He done for you? How do you want to brag on Him? And that's what we want to do. We want to share that time together in testimony. And then we want to experience the Lord's Supper together, which is our way of saying to Him, You blessed me by dying for me. And I want to remember. So I encourage you to come. Then, of course, as we share together, a meal together, just a great opportunity to be together. So I encourage you to be a part of that. This morning, the message, uh, I just want to go on in Romans, and it, I think it's so appropriate what Dorothy's saying, because as we think about what God's done for us this past year, His grace is always more. Salvation is so powerful. And we're looking in the book of Romans this morning, continuing 13 through the end of the chapter, as we... Look at how he provides hope in a hopeless situation. And so uh, turn with me there. Book of Romans, chapter 4, as we read 13 through the end of the chapter. And I'm going to ask you to stand in our God's honor as I read from his word. It was not through law that Abraham and his offspring received the promise that he would be heir of the world but through the righteousness that comes by faith. For if those who live by law are heirs, faith has no value and the promise is worthless because law brings wrath. And where there's no law, there's no transgression. Therefore, the promise comes by faith so that it may be by grace and may be guaranteed to all Abraham's offspring. Not only to those who are of the law, but also to those who are of the faith of Abraham. He's the father of us all. As it is written, I have made you a father of many nations. He is our father in the sight of God in whom he believed. The God who gives life to the dead and calls things that are not as though they were. Against all hope, Abraham, in hope, believed and so became the father of many nations, just as it had been said to him. So shall your offspring be without weakening in his faith. He faced the fact his body was as good as dead since he was about a hundred years old and that Sarah's womb was also dead. Yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God, being fully persuaded God had power to do what he promised. This is why it was credited to him as righteousness. The words that was credited to him were written not for him alone, but also for us, to whom God will credit righteousness, for us who believe in him and who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. He was delivered over to death for our sins and was raised to life for our justification. Let's pray. Master, how great is your love. How the Lord has lavished on us His love. How He has reached out to us who could not reach up to Him. You have provided, Lord, what we could not earn. And for that we are grateful. And as we gather on this day, that before that Thursday we commemorate Thanksgiving, what we have to be thankful for, we're grateful for the cross, Lord. We're grateful for your work and that it is not incomplete, but that you fulfilled what we needed. You paid for sin and you gave us hope. 
in a hopeless situation. We pray that as you work through the remainder of our time, that your word may come alive, Lord, and that we would hear from you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. As I was going through the internet, I ran across a website called Phonology. And in Phonology, it looked at some facts that are amazing, but they're true. Just a few i uh, share with you from here. Uh, the pulse in your wrist. Uh, for humans, the normal pulse is about 70 beats a minute. Elephants have a pulse of 27. And canaries, 1,000. I mean, really fast. Um, if all the blood vessels in your body were laid end to end, they would reach about 60,000 miles. Isn't that amazing? The human body, 75% water. And here's why we eat so much, I think. Our tongue has 3,000 taste buds. I mean, that's a, that's a lot of taste. Uh, dentist invented the electric chair. Okay. Uh, or the largest baby to be born so far weighed 15 pounds, 5 ounces. Poor mom. Uh, Thomas Edison, the inventor of the light bulb, was afraid of the dark. The greatest officially recorded number of children born to one mother, get this, new moms, is 69. Uh, to to a, a Russian peasant born in the 1700s. In 27 births, confinements it's called here, she gave birth to 16 pairs of twins, seven sets of triplets, and four sets of quadruplets. Wow. And anyway, that's been confirmed by several in, in history. Phew. And uh, then in India, the oldest uh, woman on record uh, recent times to give birth was 70 years old, and she gave birth to twins. And this is referred to as the oldest in the records. But we know that she wasn't the oldest. And that's what we're going to look at this morning. There's a lady who gave birth at 90 years of age. And her husband was 100. And that's what it talks about in this section of Scripture. It gives a, it gives a section of Scripture that talks about what appears to be totally impossible was not impossible for our God. It tells us in um, Mark 10, verse 27, For with man it's impossible... But not with God. For with God all things are possible. And the whole point I believe of this section of scripture guys. Is that what appears to be impossible. Is not impossible for God. When we look at the fact that there is no way we can come into the presence of a holy God. And that we can come to him and say God what do I need to do. Just give me the list. Just let me know how much time. How much work. It just, just let me know what do I have to do Lord. To please you. It's impossible. So God paid the price. And let's look at the actual account. Uh, turn with me to Genesis chapter 17. And as we read in verse 1, it says, When Abram was 99 years old, <laughs> the Lord appeared to him and he said, Walk before me, be blameless. I'll confirm my covenant between me and you and greatly increase. Your numbers. And Abram fell face down. And he said, as for me, this is my covenant with you. 
You will be the father of many nations. Abram means exalted father. But his name was changed to Abraham to say, you're going to be the father of many nations. And remember, he's been waiting for years for he and his wife to have a child together. And it, it hasn't occurred. And, and, and he says, your name's going to be changed, fella. You, you think that you're old and dried up, but you're not. I have a plan. Then he goes on. Um, I want you to see, because you know, too often we also leave out Sarah. But as we read about her, we discover too that she too experienced a name change that she too, uh, down in verse 15, God also said to Abraham, as for Sarah, S-A-R-A-I, your wife, you are no longer to call her Sarah. Her name will be Sarah, A-H. Name meaning I'll bless her and surely give you a son by her. I'll bless her so that she will be the mother of nations. Kings of people will come from her. A man who's 99 years old and his, his wife 89 and hears this message from God. So what's his response? Praise be to God! No, look at his response. Um, verse 17, Abraham fell down, he laughed. That's not a big shock, is it? God, remember me? Uh, see this uh, 99-year-old body? And he says, will a son be born to a man a hundred years old? Sarah bear a child the age of 90? And Abraham said to God, what about plan B? If only Ishmael might live under your blessing. Well, what about something we've already got? You know, let's do a substitution here. Uh, you know, that, that, that seems to make more sense. Then God said, yes, but your wife Sarah will bear you a son. And you'll call him Isaac. And, and the word Isaac, it means he laughs. In other words, this boy was named Laughter. God named him Laughter. Now, we, we go on, we read in the account, it says that God appears to Abraham and to Sarah as three angels. Uh, look there in 18 verse 1. It says, The Lord appeared to Abraham near the great trees of Mamre while he was sitting at the entrance to his tent in the heat of the day. Abraham looked up and saw three man, men standing nearby when he saw them, he hurried from the entrance of his tent to meet them, and he bowed low to the ground. And as, as he met, as we read on, it, it says, hey, let me get you something to eat in, in verse 5. Let me serve you. And, and they said, very well. And, and, it, and then verse 6, it says, he hurried into the tent where Sarah was, and he said, quick, uh, you need to bake some bread for our visitors. And then he, he ran and he, he got what was needed to prepare the meal as, as he took a calf. And then you drop down to verse 9. And the three visitors, they say to him, Where's your wife Sarah? They asked him. Uh, They're in the tent, he said. Verse 10. The Lord said, I'll, I'll surely return to you about this time next year. And Sarah, your wife, will have a son. Now, Sarah, the whole time, she's in the tent and she's listening to this conversation. And as we go in here, we see her response. Sarah was listening, the entrance to the tent, which was behind him. Abraham and Sarah were already old, well advanced in years. Sarah was past the age of childbearing. Um, so Sarah laughed to herself as she thought him. 
after I am worn out <laughs> and my master is old, will I now have this pleasure? Look at verse 13. It's interesting. Then the Lord said to Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh? I mean, you know, in human ways of thinking, we know why she laughed. But notice the response of the Lord. Well, I really have a child now that I'm old. And, and the Lord says, Is anything too hard for the Lord? The question was not Abraham and Sarah's age. The question was not the condition of their bodies. The question was, is God God? How big is God? And I guess it's a question we always have to get back with you and me. Is our God a small God? Or is He King of kings and Lord of lords? Is He the everlasting God? How big is our God? Or how small is our God? wonder what it was like when they, you know, the kids came over. Can I play with laughter today? You know? This one, laughter, and I love it where Sarah says in that scripture, uh, says, you know, Lord, you have blessed me after this child is born and, and brought laughter into our, into our home. This is God's work. It, it made me think of in Luke chapter 1 where we have the account of the angel coming to Mary and getting ready to tell her, you know, you're... You're going to carry the Messiah. And there's this conversation that goes on, and then there's mention of her cousin Elizabeth, who's older in years, and she is with child two, and she's been barren for many years. And, and in that conversation, in Luke 1, 37, I love it in the Amplified, it says, For nothing is ever impossible for God, and no word shall be without power or impossible. Of fulfillment. God is more than able to work. And what did Mary do? She said, Lord, I am your maidservant. May it be as you have said. And she just humbled herself. Because there's that belief and that confidence that God is able to work. Alright, let's go uh, back in Genesis. Genesis 21 as this uh, well, comes to pass. God's word becomes reality. Uh, it happens. Sarah conceives. Uh, verse twenty-one. I mean, chapter twenty-one. The Lord was gracious to Sarah, as He had said. And the Lord did for Sarah what He had promised. <laughs> she became pregnant, bore a son to Abraham in his old age, at the very time God had promised him. Abraham gave the name Isaac to the son Sarah bore him. When his son Isaac was eight days old, Abraham circumcised him as God had commanded. <laughs> Abraham was 100 years old when his son Isaac was born to him. And Sarah said, God has brought me laughter. And everyone who hears about this will laugh with me. Not at me, with me because of the joy God has brought. His word came to pass. What he said was true. He is good. He, he, he is faithful. He, he, he does what he says he will do. And she added, who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? Yet I have borne him a son in his old age. That was the work of God. Now, as we come back to Romans 4, you say, what in the world does this have to do with grace by faith? What does this account have to do with it? It has everything to do with it. It has everything. You see, 
It's strange news to a Jew as we've already looked at this idea of it's a gift that, that God has done the finished work because the whole picture was that you have to keep the law, that you have to strive in order to obey that law. And, and, and yet God comes through and, and He says through His Word that Christ finished the work at the cross and He says receive His work instead of striving to earn His favor. You see, the picture is that the arms of God reach down by His grace to love us. And it is through faith that we reach back to receive the gift. And there's that holy embrace that marks salvation. Um, why must it be faith? Look at back to chapter 4 here in the book of Romans. As we talk about um, through that section of Scripture that by law we're heirs. But faith, faith is at work to uh, grab grace Verse 16, Therefore the promise comes by faith, so that it may be by grace and may be guaranteed to all Abraham's offspring, not only to those who are of the law, but also to those who are of the faith of Abraham. He is the father of us all. This is something that all of us can enjoy, that all of us can have. Grace by faith. Now, in your notes, God declares us righteous while we are still in a sinning state. That's what justification is about. It is not that you come to Him perfect. It is that through Jesus, He covers you and gives you righteousness. His righteousness that lasts Nothing more needs to be done or earned. It is His finished work that makes the difference. It is marvelous, infinite grace. Grace. That's, that's what it's about, guys. His grace. And the beauty of it is, when it's by works, how do you ever know that you've done enough? That you've worked hard enough, that you've met the obligation that, you know, this will be enough to send me to heaven. This will be enough to make things right with my heavenly father. This will be enough to pay the price for my sins. But there's never that confidence when it's just by works. It, it never comes. It must come by his awesome grace. It is in that that it comes and it is received by that faith. So what's left for us is to believe. Now, as, as we look at uh, this section of Scripture, this account illustrates that we have to offer, all we have to offer is faith. Look at verse 18. Against all hope, Abraham in hope believed, and so became the father of many nations, just as it had been said to him, so shall your offspring. Against all hope, Abraham in hope believed. Now, what's he talking about? Well, look at the Scripture. Go with me down through the Scripture here in Romans 4 as he describes that. Verse 19, Without weakening in his faith, he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead. You know, look at that. Some of you that probably arthritis and different things you face, yeah, I get a little picture of that, how I feel sometimes, as good as dead. Since he was about 100 years old, and that Sarah's womb was also dead. 
There is nothing going to show up in that womb by human standards. It just, you know, in a hopeless situation, there was hope. And as you think about that, that is the story of salvation, guys. There is nothing that you and I can do that is going to earn us eternity with a living God. There is nothing you and I that can offer that will bring His complete forgiveness. There is nothing that we can do that is going to please God and impress Him. It's a hopeless situation, but in the midst of what is hopeless, He brings hope. And that's what it's all about, is the hope that He provides It is grace. It is the power of God reaching down to us. And it is faith. And there is an embrace that comes. Grace through faith. And the result is salvation. That appears as God works through that. I want you to see here. It's beautiful. Verse 20. Yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God. But was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God. The point is that Abraham did not waver in his faith. And, and this means to become divided in your mind. In other words, he, he wasn't divided. He, he, didn't, he didn't have this battle constantly going on in his mind. Can I trust God? Can I not trust God? Can I trust God? Can I not trust God? But he was strengthened. As the time went on, he was strengthened. He did not waver because he had walked with God. And he knew God because of that walk. He had watched God meet his needs. He had, he had experienced the love of God. He experienced the power of God. And as a result of that, he trusted God. That's, that's what he's talking about here. Uh, turn to James chapter 1, as we have a scripture of that, in, uh, an illustration of that in the scriptures of the New Testament. Verse many of us have certainly prayed and quoted uh, verse 5. If any of you lacks wisdom, God, I don't know what to do. Help. If any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God who gives stingily. Nope, it says generously to all without finding fault and it will be given to him. So the picture here is if you don't know what to do, God help. Show me what to do. Give me the wisdom I need. But I want you to notice the next verse as it, it says, but when he asks, he must believe and not doubt because he who doubts is like a Wave of the sea, blown and tossed by the wind. That man should not think he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all he does. Just like a small ship out in the middle of the seas, and there's a storm, and and, and the battering of the waves you know, sends so much anxiety and, and stress, and a, a sense of hopelessness, because all they can see is the storm, and the seas, and the waves blown and tossed by the wind. He says, don't... Don't get caught up in where you are and in the situation and in the feeling of hopelessness. But look to the Lord. That's what Abraham did. It, it, It was a wisdom. It was a fact. Regardless of where I now stand, I know who stands for me. That's God. That's Jesus Christ. That that's that's where the hope is. He didn't go there in that battle. He said, I, I'm going to choose to remember how faithful God has been to me, and I'm going to I'm going to trust in Him. Numbers twenty three nineteen in the contempor- uh, the new the NCV um, says Numbers twenty three nineteen like this New Century version God is not a human being and He will not lie He is not human He does not change His mind what He says He will do 
He does what He promises He makes come true. That, that, is the, that is the picture of God. You hear some people talk about faith as if it's a blind leap. And I'm just going to run, just leap. Don't know where I'm headed or where I'm going. But that's not the picture of faith. Faith comes from an intimate knowing God by a walk with God that has shown that God is faithful and you can trust Him. And that's the picture of Abram. The more you know, the stronger your faith and that is the picture that is shown. And hope against hope, this occurred. It was an impossible conception. It was an impossible birth. And there was a period of waiting many years for God's promise to come true. There was a weak body, and God worked in spite of that because nothing's impossible for Him. He is at work. Tough circumstances don't bring doubt, don't bring the divided mind, but bring a confidence that although I don't understand, I know my God is more than able. He's able. Kent Hughes, in his commentary on this section of Scripture, wrote these words. Uh, he says, People are under the impression that when a person has faith, he inwardly agrees to ignore the facts. Facts and faith are mutually exclusive. There's reason without faith, and that's rationalism. In practice, there must be no reduction of faith with reason. Likewise, there must be no reduction of reason to faith. Biblical faith is a composite of the two. Abraham did not take an unreasonable leap of faith. How then did Abraham come to such an exercise of faith? He weighed the human possibilities of becoming a father against the divine impossibility of God being able to break His word and decided if God was God, nothing is impossible. F.F. Bruce put it this way, the patriarch believed the bare word of God. Now, look at verse 23. The words that was credited to him are written not for him alone, but also for us to whom God will credit righteousness. For us who believe in him who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. In other words, this is not just for Abraham. It's for all who believe. There's a righteousness available to all who trust in Jesus who put their confidence in Jesus Christ that awaits. And I love it in the Scripture here. He was delivered over to death for our sins. This is the story of the cross. It was at the cross our sins were paid for. He was delivered over to death for our sins. And He was raised to life. The power of the resurrection, which shows a justification, or in other words, that God looks upon us and sees the perfect righteousness of Jesus Christ when He looks at us. He doesn't see our mess. He sees the Messiah covering us, filling us. Man, well, eh. All right, let me wrap this thing up. Two lessons here. Um, first has to do with faith being strengthened. Faith is strengthened when we wait on Him, when there's that confident hope and that anticipation that He gives. I've been reading a lot of C.S. Lewis again lately, doing a, a daily devotional. They'll send me a little paragraph of Lewis and, uh, here's part of one uh, from the other day. This is out of Lewis's book, Christian Behavior. He says, Hope is one of the theological virtues. This means a continual looking forward to the eternal world, a form, it, which is not a form of escapism or wishful thinking, but one of the things that Christians meant to do. It does not mean we're to leave the present world as it is. If you read history, you'll find Christians who did most for the present world were those who thought most of the next. It's since Christians have largely ceased to think of the other world that they have become so ineffective in this world. 
Aim at heaven, you get earth thrown in. Aim at earth, you get neither. In the midst of the darkness of the present hour, there's one bright beacon of hope, and that is the promise of Jesus Christ. Abraham was this awesome example of walking with God because he wasn't just looking to here, he was looking to there. And he got both. Second lesson, uh, faith is not based on a blind leap in the dark, it's based on knowledge that sees God is greater than whatever the test is that we are in, that we're facing. Close with this illustration uh, from a seminary professor, Dr. Robert Wilson. When the students graduated, occasionally they would come back to speak, and he made a habit. He says, I want to go hear that person, but I'm only going to hear him once. And so anyway, this one student, he came back, to speak, and Dr. Wilson came in the chapel to hear him speak, and he came down, he sat right on the front row, scared the poor guy, poor guy to death. I mean, you imagine you're trying to preach, and guy comes in, he's got the Greek and Hebrew texts, and he's looking at him, and oh my gracious, I, you know, this is not good. But as he spoke, he uh, came to the close of the meeting, the professor came up to his student, shook his hand, he says, if you come back again, I will not come to hear you preach. The student kind of looked downcast, he says, I only come once to hear my students, but I'm glad you're a big godder. You see, when my students come back, I always come to see if they are big godders or little godders. And then I know what their ministry will be like. His former student asked him to explain, Well, some men have a little god, and they're always in trouble with him. He can't do any miracles. He can't take care of the inspiration and transmission of the Scriptures to us. He doesn't intervene on behalf of his people. They have a little god. I call these people little godders. Then there are those who have a great God. He speaks and it's done. He, he commands, it stands fast. He knows how to show himself strong on behalf of them that fear him. And then he says, you young man are a big godder. And God will bless your ministry. Hey man, that's the charge I give to each of us. Do we have a little God or a big God? Would Dr. Wilson call you a little godder or a big godder? When you look at God, what do you see? Do you see a God who is more than able to meet that need and to do what He's chosen to do? Or do you see a God, well, He's just trapped by this. He's totally confused. That's the question. Where's the faith in God? Years ago, uh, William Carey lived in a day where all the church folk had the idea that God knows everything God controls everything. So, you know, if some people choose not to follow God and go to hell, it's what God's going to do. And if others choose to follow God, it's what God's going to do. So, we'll just sit back and see what God's going to do. Well, as William Carey got into Scriptures and as he read and as he studied, he, he, he just got a heart for the Gospel. He said, now wait a minute. Whoever believes on the Lord, whoever calls on His name will be saved. Whoever trusts Him, how will they hear without a preacher? How, how, how will they know unless someone goes and, and, and speaks to them? And he just got a burden. He said, I, I can't stay here. I've got to go. So in the midst of everybody just, you know, uh, no reason to go, he went and, and he went and, and he shared the good news and he, he gave forth his life. And, and I close with this saying by William Carey. That's a challenge to each of us. He says, attempt great things for God. Expect great things from God. 
That, that was the heart of Abraham. And, and that's what salvation is about. He is a great God that brought salvation to us. But it's not meant merely to stay in us. It's to flow through us. Let's pray. Lord, as we think about this day of Thanksgiving, there is nothing we are more thankful for than salvation by grace through faith. There is nothing more precious than the fact that I don't have to wonder, am I going to heaven? I don't have to wonder, does God love me? I don't have to wonder, was the cross enough? Abraham and Sarah thought, there's no way we could be parents. They laughed. But the laughter ended up laughter of joy. And Father, as we look at our sins and we think, there's no way God could love me. I'm a mess. And it's almost a laughter of, no way. But then when Jesus becomes real to us, there's a laughter of joy. It says, God, you did what nobody could do. You saved me. You changed me. And as we come today on this season of Thanksgiving, uh, that, that's still true. Uh, this righteousness that is credited through Jesus, it, it wasn't just a one-time event. It's for all who come honestly and say, God, I need you. And I believe in Jesus. And I'm coming with a little I am and the big you are to find hope in a hopeless situation. I pray this morning that would occur for some who may for the first time need to come and say, okay, Jesus, I'm a sinner. Forgive me, enter my life. Make me new, make me whole. And may that happen this morning for others who, for whatever reason, have become little godders. Just not trusting you. God is small. Master, may you open up our eyes. May you open up our hearts. And may you renew our sight. That we may see that you are the God of all gods. And that there is always hope where you are concerned. And, and Father, just restore to us the joy of our salvation. Father, whatever you want to do this morning, whether it's to come to this altar to pray, whether it's to come for a commitment to share with the body of Christ, whether it's to decide right where we are, I just ask, Father, that you would be glorified in all that happens. In the name of Jesus, we pray.